Welcome back, everybody, to the Nothing But Sports podcast. This is episode 60. Uh, three things to talk about today. MLB free agency and kind of the lockout. I don't really want to talk about the lockout because it's... But MLB free agency, uh, college football playoff, just got finished watching Georgia and Bama. Oh, there's about a minute 50 left in the game, but it's already done. Then, of course, NFL Week 13 picks and NFL Week 13 picks. I uh, went 8-7 and seven last week, so not bad, but yeah. Let's get it started. So let's start with the MLB free agency because it has been crazy. This has been this is probably the deepest free agency class there's been in a while. And I want to talk about the Yankees because I'm a Yankees fan. You know, I went on here last week and talked about the Mets signing Marte, Kahana, and uh, Escobar. And I was like, those are three really good moves. Then they back it up by signing Max Scherzer. Uh, Corey Seager goes out to the Rangers, get Seager and Simeon. And the Dodgers are able to keep Chris Taylor, which is a pretty big move. So those are a couple things. Javier Baez goes to um, Marcus Stroman goes to the Cubs. And Marcus Stroman goes to the Cubs. Uh, Robbie Ray is on the move as well. Um, Javier Baez gets his big deal. Um, Not in New York, though, but gets his uh, big deal with Detroit. And, yeah, so a bunch of players are on the move. Kevin Gossman as well. Uh, Stroman, like I said, Chicago Cubs. So there's been a lot of um, a lot of craziness going on. It's kind of hard to keep track of where everyone has, um, where everyone has gone <laughs> because there has been so many different moves and um, there's been so many different different moves. Oh, Mariners, sorry. Robbie Ray, Robbie Ray to the Mariners. And... Yeah, so let let's start because I want to talk about the Yankees because because it has been just it's been so frustrating to watch the to watch these teams make all these moves and not see the Yankees involved uh, in any of them. So sorry, a Kevin Gosman Blue Jays, which is not good either for us. So I just want to break it down, okay? You know, I didn't expect Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander to come to New York. And I didn't expect us to get, you know, all the big guys. But at some point, I mean, at this time, I was at hope I would have at least thought the Yankees had a big player. Whether it be a Seager or someone else. Story who's still in the market, but now with the lockout, we don't know. Correa at some point. He's probably not coming to New York, but... Even just, you know, re-signing Anthony Rizzo, they haven't done that yet. I have figured there would be something done. But as we sit here today, the Yankees have done a whole lot of nothing. I don't know what Brian Cashman is doing if he just couldn't figure out the deals. But in a free agency class, even um, that to this day, you saw Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Javier Baez, Corey Seager, Chris Taylor, Kevin Gosman, Robbie Ray, Trevor Simeon, Marcus Stroman, Jacob Sta- uh, Stallings, Jan Gomes, Rahel, uh, Raul Iglesias, and you look at all those guys, and that's just off the top of my head, you couldn't get one of them. On a day where all in a free agent class where all of these guys have been signed, you couldn't get one of them to come to New York. That is, that is inexcusable. You even look at it. Um, I would have loved to trade for Joey Wendell or something. That didn't happen. There has been nothing done. And also, not to mention, you've let Corey Kluber go. So you haven't even addressed when it came to re-signing guys. Because 
You didn't re-sign Kluber, okay, and you haven't re-signed Anthony Rizzo yet. No one knows what we're going to do with Gary Sanchez because the catching market is pretty much gone now. So I guess he's still a Yankee. We have not heard anything about trading Glaber Torres. So there's so many... And Darren O'Day out of the bullpen, he's gone. He signed a minor league deal. So you're missing a piece there. Zach Britton, we don't know what he's going to be. So in where you could have even signed just mid-reliever guys uh, um, would, have been, would have been a good situation. You didn't even have to get some of these big guys. Get, get some you know, good pieces out of the bullpen. You couldn't get not one thing from this free agency class. That is absolutely inexcusable from Brian Cashman because the Yankees have uh, every team this offseason has improved and the Yankees have gotten worse because tell me so you haven't re-signed Anthony Rizzo yet he said he wants to be a Yankee why haven't you got that done that should have gotten that should have been the first priority this offseason so I don't know why that is not done yet okay all right also who the hell is going to be our number two pitcher who the hell are you keeping in mind will be pitcher number two Luis Severino Mm -mm, mm -mm. after I don't care how good Severino looked in the games that he pitched that were limited off the um, off the injury, he is not going to pitch number two. Okay, let's just get that through their head. If the Yankees think Luis Severino is capable of pitching number two, no, it ain't working. Tyone ain't certainly pitching number two. Neither is Montgomery, okay? Because now you don't have a number two since Kluber's gone. What, what is the plan? You wanted to bring back Tanaka? He's, going, he's pitching back in Japan for one more season. So you're left with nothing here. Outside of Garrett Cole, you are still... Left with nothing because we, n- n- it just blows my mind. You're left with, I mean, unless the Yankees, after the lockout, want to go sign someone they can. But the lockout puts a huge pause. That's why I was expecting them to at least get some deals done before the lockout. We all knew the lockout was coming. But now there's no guarantees because this lockout could come all the way till the se- before the season starts. And who knows if the Yankees can sign anyone uh, before opening day. Because as of now... The Yankees could enter opening day because I don't think this lockout's getting resolved anytime soon. Could enter without a sec without a number two pitcher, weak bullpen pieces, and no shortstop. Because there is no shortstop right now. Because you want to move Glaber back to second. I mean, Trevor Story's still sitting at home. You should have tried to get him before the before the market, before the lockout lockout. Um Carlos Rodon is still sitting out there. I haven't heard any talks about that. Zach Greinke as well. These <sighs> Trevor, Trevor Story, who I just said, I mean, I know I'm repeating myself because I'm getting sort of on a rant here, but it, nothing. There has been absolutely nothing done. And is Rizzo going to be with the Yankees? We have no idea because you have not re-signed him. Um, Yankees fans are still hoping for Correa. That's not happening. I'm going to kick at all Yankee fans. Carlos Correa is not coming to New York. There's no way the Yankees are signing him after he pretty much spat in the face of Derek Jeter. So... That's not happening. Correa is not coming to New York. So, I honestly have no clue what the plan is. And (laughs) I'm honestly not excited. I mean, like I said, even a utility guy like Chris Taylor who comes up in big moments, that would have been a good signing to improve. Okay? That would have been a good one. Joey Wendell, second baseman. I mean, if you wanted to trade Glaber, he would have been a good option. they're, They're a low... And you could have honestly... And also, the only thing the Yankees have done this offseason is they've gotten rid of Rooney Odor, okay, which we saw coming. He goes to Baltimore. They got rid of Clint Frazier, who they missed the opportunity to trade out um, after his rookie season. And 
the real head scratcher, the other two I'm fine with, you traded Tyler Wade. So you decided to keep Tyler Wade all the years he stunk in New York. And the one year he shows promise in hitting and actually looks like the player we all expected Tyler Wade to be, you got rid of him? That, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand it. I really don't. I mean, and you should have tried to re-sign re him on like a small one-year deal. Okay, also, are you going to give Gardner a deal? Who the hell knows at this point? And like I said, with the I, normally I wouldn't be super concerned right now because it's only December, but just because of this lockout, there is so many crazy things that can happen. You know, this can maybe punch out a couple games because honestly, this, this lockout's not getting solved anytime soon. We're going to enter, uh, you know, we're going to enter maybe the beginning of March and we're still going to be looking at uh, what happens. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if we arrive at opening day, which I think is like March 30th, and we still don't have a deal done. So there's no baseball for the first couple games of the season. So I don't know, man. And now Cashman's just got to sit, I guess, and scout. I mean, the problem is you can't even talk to players. You can't tr ask teams. You can't trade. can't do anything until this lockout is resolved. So I guess he's just got to sit there and all his best options, but at this point, there's not many options left. I can't believe I'd ever be saying that, but there's really not because realistically, outside of signing Trevor Story at the shortstop position, okay, re-signing Anthony Rizzo and getting either Rodon or Granke, what other options do you have? You know, you're not going to go after Freddie Freeman because if you want to re-sign Rizzo, we don't need a first baseman. You're not going to go after Chris Bryant because uh, do you want Chris Bryant at third base? He plays right field, but... You don't need that. You need a set, second base or shortstop. How does how does that help? I mean, I love Chris Bryant. Unless you want to move, I mean, what would be the situation there? You move Gio Urshela off third base. I, I don't know. So we'll we'll see. Um, we have to wait till the lockout gets over with. But it's just heavily disappointing. I, I've never called for Cashman's job when people have been saying fire Cashman. I've been always go for Boone first. But man, if he can't get anything done, it might have to be a fire Cashman thing because it is just terrible that they haven't made a move yet. I thought they would have been on it, on it. Normally, the Yankees are the ones making the moves like this, and the teams like the Mets are the ones letting guys slip by. But ever since Steve Cohn has come, he's used his money, and you know people are complaining about you know all these teams using their money, but that's just the direction of the MLB is going. You know, big market teams are going to use their money. That's how it is. It's it. That's how the MLB is now. You just buy your way to victory. Uh, except if you're the Tampa Bay Rays. That's, re that's, that's really it. But, yeah, let, let's, let's transition from, from, uh, from baseball. Enough about the Yankees' uh, the Yankees um, uh, inept mindset. Let's go to college football. So, let's, the CFP uh, college football rankings, and this season has been crazy. For college football. This is the most I've been into a season. And it, I think a lot of people. Because I have also been into the season a lot. Because it's been so crazy. Because pretty much with Georgia losing today. Every team who makes the college football playoff. Is guaranteed to have one loss. Which I don't think has probably ever happened. Normally a team with one loss. Gets in as the fourth seed. Um, so the fact that you see four, all four seeds have one loss. It's crazy. So a couple games just wrapped up. Uh, Cincinnati pretty much should clinch their spot because they just beat Houston 35-20. to 20. Uh, Bama just 
pretty much slapped around Georgia, 42 to 20, 41 to 24 in the SEC title game. And then earlier today in the Big 12 championship, Oklahoma State lost to Baylor, 21-16. So that pretty much takes Oklahoma State out of the equation. They're no longer a factor in making the college football playoff. It pretty much comes down to the Big Ten championship game, which is about to kick off in five minutes or so. If Michigan wins, they're in. If not, it'll probably be Notre Dame in at the fourth spot, since he'll get bumped up, uh, bumped up to, uh, bumped up to, uh, since he will get bumped up to three, and it'll be Bama one, Georgia two. So um, that's if Michigan um, doesn't somehow win the Big Ten title game. They should beat Iowa. If Michigan wins, it should be Alabama one, Michigan two, Georgia three, Cincinnati four. That's really how it should be, and I think it'll play out. Iowa's a good football team, but I don't know if they can beat Michigan, especially with the way the Michigan defense played against Ohio State and the way they ran the football, but we will see. Who knows in Indianapolis, but, um, you know, on the uh, let, let, let's also talk about Cincinnati. You know, a lot of people are complaining about Cincinnati. You know, oh, they haven't played anyone good. You know, they're weak. You know, they're going to get slapped by Bama. I'm not going to argue that they're going to I'm not going to argue the fact that they're going to get they're going to get slapped by Bama because I think they will get slapped by Bama. But I do think Cincinnati belongs in the top four, and here's why. Actually, Cincinnati. What am I saying? All teams having one loss. Cincinnati is the one team that's not going to have a loss on their schedule. Perfect thirteen and zero. And you know, even if Cincinnati's schedule is easy, the fact that they knew if they lost one time and they were out, the fact that they knew that. They understood that if, hey, if we lose a game, doesn't matter what happens, there's no way we are going to make the college football playoff. And they were still able to remain, and they were still able to remain unbeaten. That has to be given a lot of praise because to, to, to shoulder that pressure, especially when you're not supposed to be a football school, you're a, fo- um, you're a small school compared to these guys, that's a lot of pressure to shoulder. And they did it. They made their case 13 0 conference champions. And. They'd beat Notre Dame. You know, Notre Dame, if Michigan loses, could be another team that gets in. So they have the victory over Notre Dame, which is their one loss on the season. And also, they've beaten three other ranked opponents this season. So it's not like they've been, it's been all, you know, all sort of teams that can't play. I mean, they beat Houston today. Houston's the, 20, the 20th team in the country. And they pretty much manhandled them, 35-20. to 20. So they do deserve to be in the college... Um, in the college football playoff. I'm sick of people saying they don't deserve it. Are they a small school? Yes. Is it the, is their strength of schedule a lot easier? Yes. But they do deserve it. And, and I think it's good for college football to finally get a new face because, you know, it's because I don't want to see Notre Dame in the college football playoff. You know, a part of me wants to see Michigan lose because then sort of chaos will ensue. But a part of me doesn't because I don't want to see Notre Dame in the college football playoff because Notre Dame always gets blown out. I'd rather see... Cincinnati get blown out the Notre Dame <laughs> um, to Alabama because Notre Dame, you know, they got they got mollywopped by Alabama, and I think they also got twice probably by Alabama. So we're gonna see. But let so that's that. Now let's talk about Alabama and Georgia. We talked about Cincinnati and sort of alluded to the big, big, uh, Big Ten championship game. Let's talk about Bama. So Bama's probably gonna jump to the number one seed as they beat Georgia 41-24. They absolutely torched the supposedly historically great Georgia defense by scoring 41, uh, 24 of them in the first half. So, 
if Georgia and Bama were to get the rematch, first of all, because I don't think the committee is going to allow them to, to rematch in the semifinals. They're going to rematch in the finals. Let's be honest there. It'll be Georgia, Michigan versus Cincy, Bama. Um, maybe Michigan can beat Georgia. I don't know. We'll see. But um, granted, if Michigan wins tonight, tonight's not a guaranteed. But if Bama were to get the rematch versus Georgia, I still think Georgia has a good chance at winning because the second half was more, you know, was more um, encouraging than the first half. Because, you know, you can say all they want, you know, Bama's, Georgia's defense was fraudulent. They weren't actually giving up 6.9 points because they were playing bad teams. And I do agree with that. I do agree, yes, they gave up 6.9 points per game, but they were playing middle-of-the-pack teams like Tennessee and Florida. I'll give you that. But the defense did tighten up because on the first drive of the second half, um, Bryce Young, who, by the way, there's no discussion anymore about who's the Heisman. It's that man after what he did at Auburn with that huge drive and winning it in overtime and then do this against the Georgia defense. It's, it's Bryce Young, okay? So after he throws a long touchdown to Williams and it becomes 31-17 within like a minute and a half in the second half, you're thinking, oh my God, this is going to get ugly. But after that, the Georgia defense really tightened up. They gave up the three points at the end, but the game was pretty much already over at that point. And the other six, seven points were from the, uh, from the Stenson-Bennett pick six. So the defense did play, look pretty good and respectable in the second half. And, I, and getting to Stenson-Bennett, I didn't think he played poorly. I mean, he played all right. Um, the pick six, I, I can't explain. You know, that's a bad throw. But the first interception in the red zone, if you look... The tight end stops on the play. He, if he runs through there, that's probably at best an incom- at worst incomplete pass, maybe even a catch. But he slows up and pretty much stops before he throws the ball. That's why it's, it's intercepted. And he also did make a couple big throws that weren't caught. For example, the tight end. Um, I think this was on their in the third quarter, their second drive, their first drive after the interception, where they got stopped on fourth down in the red zone. On that, on the play before they got stopped on that third and nine, he put a dart in between two defenders, and the tight end just couldn't hang on to the ball as he hit the ground. So that's a good throw. That's not his fault. But Kirby Smart as well. What I don't understand what Kirby Smarts was doing for pretty much the entirety of the game. Okay, thirty-one seventeen. Uh, you know, you go for it on the fourth down, you get it, but it leads to an interception later. Why don't you just take the field goal there? Try and make it thirty-one twenty. Also, on the other drive where you go for it on like 4th and 9 and you don't go anywhere, take the field goal there. Now, granted, it wouldn't have changed the game because Bama scored the field goal late, but maybe at 38-30, at the kicker gets tight and misses the field goal. It at least gives you better of a chance. Also, what are you doing not taking your timeouts with, when you have Bama at midfield with 5 minutes to go? Why are you waiting with till 2 minutes to take the timeouts? The game's already lost at that point. I don't understand it. I, um... I really don't. It's just weird. Every time Kirby Smarts goes up against Nick Saban, it just it just doesn't work. Every time Georgia goes up against them, it just doesn't work. So I don't know what coaching does. So maybe if they meet again in the national championship, maybe they could see a different result if Stenson Bennett plays well, or, or maybe they even put him if they put JT Daniels in, who's probably also heading to the transfer portal at the end of the season. And Kirby Smart doesn't make such dumb decisions. Maybe they get a lot closer of a game, at least, and maybe they come out and pull out a result. But uh, but we will see. But Bryce Young was too good. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, Mechie went down at the end of the first half. That's probably another reason why the offense was a little lackluster. But we'll see. And I mean, but Bryce Young, man, what he did, 
was unbelievable. The throws he made, he, I mean, he's, he's got the Heisman. No one's taking the Heisman away from him at this point, but yeah. I can't wait to see what happens in the college football playoff. We'll see. Um, gonna uh, Big Ten is about to tip off, uh, kick up, uh, um, kick off. So we'll see what happens there. The simple formula: Michigan wins and they're in. If they lose, Notre Dame is probably in. That's a uh, that's um that's a uh, that's pretty much it at this point. Uh, and uh, you know, for those people who say that Georgia don't make to don't deserve to make the uh, college football playoff. Just because they lost to Bama is pretty dumb because they've had an unbelievable season up to that point, and they have one loss. So there's no shame in losing to Bama. So I don't know why Georgia would automatically be kicked out of the college football playoff. Also, who the hell would you put in there? You're not going to put a two-loss team in there. You're not going to put Oklahoma State in there because they lost. You're not going to put Baylor in there because they have two losses. You're not going to put Ohio State in there because they have two losses. So I have no, I have no idea. I mean, maybe you put you can put in Notre Dame, but I wouldn't put in Notre Dame over Georgia. That that that's just dumb to say that they they shouldn't be out of the they should be completely out of the top four. Anyway, let's move on. NFL picks this week, week thirteen, eight and seven last week. Not bad, not bad, not bad. With how unpredictable the NFL is, I'm still picking above fifty percent of the games, which is not bad. But yeah, it's definitely it was definitely a lot better start to the season. But the 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 season is taking crazy turns these last couple weeks. So let's get it started. First game, 1 o'clock. Giants. Dol- oh, I got the Thursday night game right. Uh, Cowboys got the win. I picked the Cowboys to win over the Saints. But I don't think that was a shocker. So 1-0 to start the week. Giants, Dolphins. Uh, you know, if Daniel Jones is actually playing this game, I'd pick the Giants to win. But he's, uh, he's not. So Mike Glennon is playing, who I don't really have any faith in. So I'm going to go with the Dolphins. Also because... Miami's defense, they've won, what, I think, three, no, they've won four straight at this point. Tua's playing well. Jalen Waddle is proving that he was worth the draft pick. And their defense is playing great. The Miami Dolphins' defense has played really well. It was the defense I expected to see the entirety of the season. That's why I picked them to win, like, 9, 10 games. But here they are sitting at 5. So they get the win, and um, they like to blitz a lot. And they like to do a lot of cover zero blitzes. And I don't trust the Giants' offensive line to handle those blitzes pretty well. It's I think I think it's going to be a tough day for the Giants. And also the def- and their one chance is if they play really good defense, but the Giants defense on the road this year has been absolutely horrid. I mean, you think about the games, the Tampa Bay game was one of them. I mean, KC was actually not bad, but they just make so many dumb mistakes and they haven't been able to perform defensively on the road this year. So, Dolphins get the win there over my Giants. Next up, Buccaneers and Falcons, I mean, I don't really have to say much about this one. Buccaneers get the win. Falcons, like, the Falcons are a tough team because they're still in it, but you just know they're not going to make the playoffs. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. And also, Tom Brady lives rent-free in all Atlanta Falcons fans' heads. Uh, they're probably going to, I think, Buc- I expect the Buccaneers to dominate on both sides of the ball. Defensively, they get a good pass rush on Matt Ryan, maybe similar to what New England did to them. I don't know if they'll shut them out, but... Very similar to that, um, that sort of thing. The way New England just completely took over and killed Matt Ryan by just hitting him constantly in the backfield. So um, yeah, I, I might we might see a similar thing. Don't think they'll get shut out, but I don't think it'll be very close at all. And Tom and they got the good win over uh, Indianapolis on the road, coming back down ten at the half. So Buccaneers probably right now, if you want to put, are probably the number one team in the NFL. Maybe you can put actually maybe you put Arizona and Green Bay above them, but. They're up there in the top five teams in the NFL. So Buccaneers get the win. 
Next one, Cardinals and Bears. Um, D-Hop and Kyler Murray are game-time decisions, but I'm still going to pick them to win. And I just don't have... Uh, Justin Fields is not playing for the Bears. It's Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton. And I just don't know what to think of Chicago because, you know, they have some good playmakers on the outside on offense. You know, uh, Mooney has been pretty good on the outside. He's got speed. Allen Robinson is there, but he's probably not going to play. He's had a disappointing season. Montgomery in the backfield. Even Khalil Herbert's not a bad backup running back. So they do have decent pieces, but their O-line is just horrible, man. I mean, their O-line stinks. They couldn't, I mean, first of all, they lost to Trace McSorley and the Ravens. And um, Colt McCoy has actually played pretty well for the Cardinals. And the Cardinals, the reason they've been winning these games is they have a very good defense. Uh, Chandler Jones, Buda Baker, their defense has been really well, very underrated this year. That's a big part why they're still 9-2. and two. It's not just the offense. The offense gets all the credit because of how flashy they are, but the defense is really good. And the Bears, obviously, they're still missing Khalil Mack. Akeem Hicks, is, Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack, or, or Khalil Mack is out for the season. I don't know if Akeem Hicks is going to play. He might not. So I'm going to go with the Cardinals to win the game over Chicago, even even if D-Hop and Kyler Murray don't play. They're game-time decisions, so maybe they do play, but even if they don't play, I think I'll pick the Cardinals. Next one, Chargers-Bengals. This one's a really interesting one, a very big one as far as the AFC playoff picture goes. It's so hard to call games with the Chargers because they're just so inconsistent. Like, you look at their play. One week, they look like they belong as a top team in the NFL and a team that can make some noise. And the next week, they just... And then the week after that, they'll just come out and lay an egg and make you look so stupid for picking them. You'll be like, what what, what happened? Like, for example, last week is a perfect example. They come out, beat Pittsburgh 41-37. And I know Pittsburgh was beat up, but they still get a good win like that. And then they come out and lay an egg against the Broncos. Then they have a couple good wins against Kansas City early in the season, and they lay an egg versus New England. So it just, and then the, the, the one in, um, they also laid an egg in Minnesota at one point. It's just so hard to pick with them. And I'm, and here's why I'm going to pick the Bengals. Okay. The Chargers have the worst run defense. They're bottom in the league when it comes to rushing. And Joe Mixon just ra- rushed for 150, 60 yards on the Steelers who have one of the better defenses who had one of the better defenses in the league. So I think another good day for Joe Mixon rushing the ball keeps Justin Herbert off the field and doesn't let him get into a rhythm, and Cincinnati picks up the win. Although Cincinnati has has laid a couple eggs this season against the Jets and other teams, but I think the Bengals get the win here after sweeping Pittsburgh for the first time in God knows how long, maybe ever. Uh, But yeah, Cincinnati gets the win over the Chargers. Next one, Lions versus Vikings. I'm going to go with the Vikings, even though they might not have Dalvin Cook at this point for the Lions, it's just try not to try not to go 0-17. Um, although, knowing the Vikings, this would be the one game that they lose. But the Vikings need this game. They lost a heartbreaker to the to the um, they lost a heartbreaker to the 49ers. This should be a freebie game, uh, rebound game. I think Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, the offense, those three are firing in all cylinders, and get, and they get the win over Detroit. Next one, Eagles versus the Jets. Jets actually got a win versus the Texans last week. I didn't pick them to win, but they came out and got the win. I'm going to go with the Eagles here, though. I know the Eagles look disappointing against the Giants, but let's be honest, even as a Giants fan, the Eagles should have won that game. I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, Hurts threw a couple bad interceptions. Jalen Rieger dropped two touchdowns at the end of the game. And also Nick Sirianni, you know, the Boston Scott fumble. Nick Sirianni not taking points 
toward the end of the half, and Hurts doesn't throw that interception. They kick another field goal. So it pretty much could have been tied. So the Eagles should have won that game against the Giants. Let's be completely honest here. So I think they should beat the Jets. I don't know when the last time the Eagles lost the Jets. Or last time they played them, the Eagles had like 10 sacks and like four turnovers or some crazy thing like that. So um, I'm going to go with the Eagles to get the win. This is the easiest part of the schedule. Philly is still in the game, still in it. And their defense is actually playing well this season. The secondary that a lot of people thought wouldn't hold up has played respectable football. And they've been getting there, and they've been getting to the quarterback with uh, Fletcher Cox. I didn't think they would after Brandon Graham's injury, but Fletcher Cox is still there. And they're still playing well, and I think they're going to get to Zach Wilson and force him to throw two interception, two three interceptions. I can't force, I can't pick Zach Wilson to be a good decision making, a good decision maker. So Eagles get the win over the Jets. Next one, Colts versus Texans. I'm going to go with Indy. Uh, I know it's a divisional game, so this could be a trap game for Indianapolis. But boy, does Indy need this one to stay in it. 6-6 six and six, coming off that loss against the Buccaneers where really if they just cut the turnovers out, they should have won that game. And they could have won that game if they just cut the turnovers. So they played really well versus Tampa. Jonathan Taylor didn't do much, but I mean, it's tough to do much against the Buccaneers when it comes to running the football. So I think Jonathan Taylor has a bounce back day. Carson Wentz plays solid football. And Indy gets an all-around good team win to go to 7-6. You know, Indianapolis, people look at the team and go, why do they start 6-6? Well, you look at their schedule. They've had a really tough schedule. They started the year 0-3 because they had Tennessee when they had Derrick Henry, Seattle, and then I think they had, or no, they had Seattle first. No, they had, no, yeah, they had Seattle first with, we all thought Seattle was going to be great with Wilson and Tyler Lockett. And then they had Tennessee, and then they had Tennessee again. I don't know, two weeks in a row, but they had Tennessee twice in like the first four weeks of the season. That's a really tough schedule. So two losses to Tennessee when they were 6-2, and two, okay? Um, they should have probably won the second one, but that is uh, that is also in the first game, Carson Wentz had two ankle sprains. So the, that's three losses right there. And then they had the Baltimore Ravens where Lamar Jackson was looking like he was going to win the MVP. So that's four losses right there of their six, and you throw now the Tampa Bay one. That's five losses to... Five very good teams when they're at their peak. So it doesn't surprise me if they're six and six. And then they thrash, you know, people said they don't get wins against good teams and they thrashed Buffalo. So I think Indy gets a much needed win here at six and at six and six. Next one, another big one, Washington and the Raiders. I'm gonna take the Raiders here. I think the Raiders are just gonna do enough. Both teams got wins on Monday night, but the Raiders offense looked really good against Dallas because Dallas has a decent and some good defense. The fact that they were able to put 36 on them in Arlington on Thanksgiving was a was a good one to, to stay alive. And also, Washington has a little more injuries. I know Darren Waller's not playing for um <clears throat> for uh, Oak for the Vegas for Vegas, but Washington's going to be without JD McKissick, which is a huge loss. Huge loss because he's their primary third down back, great leader and a great pass catcher out of the backfield, and is a good sort of one-two pairing with Gibson. And they also lost one of their better targets in Curtis Samuel. I know they have Logan Thomas back, but I think those losses are not going to be a, are going to be tough to overcome. And yes, they held Seattle to 15 points, but Seattle's looked pretty bad since Russell Wilson's come back from the finger injury, and even when he was injured. So I think the Raiders. So I don't know if Washington can hold the Raiders uh, to under 20, you know, 24 points, which I think is what they need to win the game. But so that's why I'm going to go with the Raiders here. Next one: Jets versus Rams. We're I'm flying through these. Only have a couple more left. Jets Rams. No, not Jets, Rams. Jags, Rams, sorry. It should be the Rams. Uh, 
if they don't get the win, then okay, then we have a real problem here. They've lost three straight. Um, but if you look at the three losses, one of them was Green Bay, one of them was Tennessee when Tennessee would and their defense played unbelievable that game. And then, um, of course, and then the 49ers who've crawled back to 500 and, are, and have gotten back in the race because they've started to realize, hey, we can run the football pretty well. Um, and so the problem with the Rams this year, people are saying, oh, why have us all of a sudden have they dropped off? Sean McVay, you know, we talked about his flashy offense with all the passing and stuff. Sean McVay's offense is always centered around the run game. And the problem is they've been, for some reason, been getting away from the run game too early in some games and also falling behind, which prohibits them from running the football. So they make themselves, it's almost similar to what the Bills do. They're making themselves one-dimensional on the offensive side of the ball because when the defense is not playing for the run, it just makes your life so much more difficult because all of a sudden they don't press up on third and shorts. They don't give you anything deep. And all of a sudden the Rams are stuck. Yes, they have good playmakers, but... They're stuck, and their defense has not what it is. Brad, um, Brandon Staley has proved that he was a huge reason why the Rams' defense was so great. And, you know, you can say all that you want about Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller, but they can you can run the football. You can really run the football on the Rams. So I'm going to pick them to win against Jacksonville, but that's sort of a reason why they're not doing so well. Next up, Ravens-Steelers. This should be a Ravens win, but you never know with uh, with how tough and heated this rivalry is. I always love watching the Ravens and Steelers play. I'll always sit down and watch their games because it's so fun to see the rivalry. But with the way Pittsburgh looked against um, Cincinnati, uh, TJ Watts active off the COVID list, but he hasn't practiced. So we'll see if that um, that hampers him a little bit. But they just weren't able to do anything against the the Bengals, really. 41-10, to maybe worst loss of Tomlin's career. And also, um, they gave up 160 yards to Joe Mixon. Now they got to deal with the Ravens' run game with Devonta Freeman, Lamar Jackson, a bunch of different schemes. Although the Ravens do have heavy injuries. I looked at their injury report. It's like it's like a whole page. But I still think Baltimore gets the win. Um, Baltimore's defense played really well against Cleveland. Lamar threw four interceptions. They were still able to win. I'll tell you again, Lamar Jackson is not throwing four interceptions again for the rest of the season and maybe in his career. So... Um, with the way the Ravens defense played versus Cleveland and Cleveland's almost in a similar situation with Pittsburgh where they're injured and they're st- struggling to find their identity on offense. I'm going to go with Baltimore to beat Pittsburgh in the heated rivalry. Also, yeah, I, that's really it. Pittsburgh is tough to call, but I mean, they're really just not the best. They're not a great football team. You know, they've got a couple wins, but they're not a great football team. Next up, 49ers and Seahawks probably take the Niners in this one with the way the Seattle offense looks. It's just, and the Niners defense has been playing better. They got some big win. They got a big win last week versus the Vikings. They picked up a win against the Rams. And Seattle just looks slumping. I mean, you look at the Seattle offense. Besides that last drive in Washington where they missed the two-point conversion, they've been terrible in Russell Wilson's return. And I still think it's the finger because this is the first time Wilson has been injured in his career and missed starts. It is still, even if that finger injury is still nagging him a little bit, it's hard to throw the football. It's hard to throw a spiral like that. And DK Metcalf and him have lost the connection. He's been out of tune with the offense. So it's really, you know, that loss last night for Seattle was kind of the first, was kind of almost, I think, maybe the gut punch to end the season. And with the way the 49ers are playing, I think, and Seattle's defense is playing well, but I think the 49ers are going to run the ball so much and stay on the field and force Seattle to go three and out, that the Seahawks' defense is eventually going to get tired and break, and the Niners will be able to run the football more. The more you can run with the Niners, if you're the Niners, the better. 
I saw a stat that like Jim, the Niners are like 18 and four, five when Jimmy G throws less than 30 passes, but when he throws more than 30, they're like seven and 18 or some some crazy stat like that. To where you don't want him throwing the ball more than 30 times because then you lose the game. But 49ers get the win. Next one, Sunday night game. The two Sunday night and Monday night games are really good. Broncos and Chiefs. Again, the Broncos is another team where it's really tough to call because one week they look like this team could sneak into the playoffs and maybe give teams trouble, and then the next week they just look like dog poo. Like they upset Dallas, and then all of a sudden they lay an egg in Philadelphia, and then they lay an egg against a couple other teams, and then they come out and just dominate the Chargers. So it's so tough to call, but I'm going to go with the Chiefs here. Chiefs have won 12 straight versus Denver. Chiefs are slowly fi- are finding it. They haven't found it completely on the offense, but I think their defense is going to play really well, and it's going to be tough for Denver to move the football or like or finish drives with them. I think they'll get them in a decent amount of third and longs, and Mahomes will do his thing, not throw too many interceptions, and the Chiefs sort of grind out a win. I think the Chiefs sort of mantra now is sort of grinding out wins because the Spagnola defenses get better as the season goes on. So, Chiefs get the win over Denver. Also, it wouldn't surprise me if Denver lays an egg here after coming off a shocking win versus the Chargers. You know, that win lay an egg pattern. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Broncos lay an egg here. Chiefs get the win. Next one, the Sunday, the Monday night game, Bills versus Pats. Winner takes over the lead in the division. Right now it's on New England. And I think New England wins the game. I know it's, well, I think it's, it doesn't matter, honestly, where it is. Because both teams are accustomed to, play, are accustomed to playing in terrible weather. Uh, we're going to see how Mac Jones is on primetime, but I still got the uh, Patriots winning the game. And the same reason I was talking about the Rams here. Since the Bills can't run the football, they make their high-powered offense one-dimensional. So it's so tough to get those throws out to Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders if you can't run the football. And the way the New England defense has played, they can shut you down. And I think they're going to do that. Buffalo also has a really good defense. So it's going to be very interesting to see, but I just think because New England can run the football a lot better than Buffalo, that's going to be the key. Who can run the football more consistently? And when I'm talking about running the football, it's very rare I'll pick against New England because they've gotten to this sort of, they've gotten back to this old school smash mouth New England where we're going to run the football and make you tired and then Mac Jones can set up from there. And also, Bill's defense took a huge hit with Tredavious White tearing his ACL. So New England wins the big game on Monday night. But yeah, so that is my week 13 picks. Once again, went 8-7 and seven last week. Hoping for a good week uh, again. I had a bad three-week stretch. Hoping to recover. But yeah, uh, that is, that'll be all for this episode. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you again next week.